And and so the reason I had asked you guys to come on today is because this is a show called How To, and we're doing an episode called How to Have a Family Adventure. And you guys, you guys recently had a big family adventure, right? Uh, definitely the ultimate family adventure, if you define ultimate as the last one we'll ever do. <laughs> Welcome to How To. I'm Charles Duhigg. On today's show, we're doing something a little bit different. All right, well, let's, kids, come with me and let's find you a snack. Yay! We're talking with one of my colleagues here at Slate, Dan Coyce. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm an editor at Slate, and I'm the author of a book called How To Be A Family. A little while ago, Dan, his wife, Alia, and their two daughters, they did something kind of crazy. They decided to abandon everything they know and love for a full year, travel around the world, and write a book about it. Uh, I'm Lyra Coyce. I'm a ninth grader. I'm Harper Coyce. I'm a seventh grader. In 2017, the Coyce family left Washington, D.C., and they moved to New Zealand, and then to the Netherlands, and then to Costa Rica, and finally to a small town in Kansas. They spent three months in each place, and they tried to figure out, what do you learn when your family goes on a year-long adventure together? And part of the prelude to taking that adventure was the long, torturous process of figuring out, of all the countries in the world, where would we go to? We had to boil it down because we do not have an unlimited amount of money or time. Um, I would like to object to the we portion of that statement. It's <laughs> true. Yeah, tell me about that. By we, I meant me and Alia. Because <laughs> they picked the places before they even told us about the trip. Really? It's true. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that, it turns out? was just the first of many mistakes. More after this quick break. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and everyday people about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. Like when this idea first came up, what was going on with your family that you felt like fleeing to another continent was the right choice? The real impetus for the trip was a uh, crazy snowstorm that happened in Washington, D.C. in the winter of uh, 2016. Um, that shut everything down for about a week and a half and kept our kids out of school for 10 days. 10 days that they, I'm sure, remember with great joy, but which to Alia and I was just like a total epic catastrophe. And this time that theoretically could have been a wondrous, joyful time of us all in a house being together and having the adventure of, you know, being snowbound and sharing this time instead was just this nightmare of me like, yelling at them and paying a babysitter and then not getting my work done and then be like, oh, my God, get out of my hair. Um, and What hair? Thank you, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> and that led me to try and sort of take action on this long simmering idea that Alia and I had had of wouldn't it be great to just like get out of everything for a little while and see what the rest of the world was like, to show our kids what the rest of the world was like, to show them that we were not at the center of the world, but instead we're just just four of the gazillions of people all over the place, all of whom were doing things differently than we were. There was also a little bit of a 
midlife crisis element to it, I'd say. Um, <laughs> we had, um, you know, we had been living in Arlington, Virginia for nearly 10 years. And it was a comfortable existence in a lot of ways, but it felt a little bit unfulfilling or at least unexciting. And so you guys you guys come up with this plan and, and you decide where you're going to go. And then you tell the kids. Yeah, you know those videos where people tell their kids, we're going to Disneyland. <laughs> That's what we thought it would be like. That's what we thought it would be like. And how that was screaming. Out? <laughs> so I remember we were on our way to the beach or coming back from the beach. We were in the car. And they were like, kids, we've got something important. And I was like, oh, God, divorce, pregnancy. Uh, <laughs> we're going around the world for a whole year. And then I was like, yay. But then I was like, no, because <laughs> we had all our family and all my friends and we'd be gone for that whole year. But even beyond that, there was just this sort of unfairness. Like, this is big. This is huge. And we don't have any kind of say in it whatsoever. Would you have done it differently looking back on it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Why? so um, I think the kids for a long time during this trip viewed it as something we did to them as opposed to something we were doing together. Um, and I think they felt that way because we didn't include them. So this is the first rule of having a family adventure. Include your kids in the decision-making as much as you can. And sometimes that's not practical, right? But the more you can make them feel like they're participating rather than just being dragged along, the more it's going to pay off down the road. Somewhat ironically, the goal of the trip was to do things together. We didn't really have buy-in from them. Um, they didn't have any particular ownership of this idea or what we were doing. And I think their feelings about it, especially when times were hard, they might have felt a lot differently about it. How do you pack for a year-long adventure? Well, one trick that we employed um, deliberately was we pretty much went to places where it was going to be summer or otherwise warm all the time, which okay. really helped with packing. Now, I will say when we got home, we pretty much threw away all of those clothes because they were thoroughly disgusting. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we managed to, to do it all in basically one big suitcase each. And the other logistics question I wanted to ask about was just, like, what does this cost? I mean, it's definitely not inexpensive. On the other hand, we did learn that you can negotiate with Airbnb um, landlords if you are going to do a long-term rental, which was really helpful. Like, is this something that, like, like any family could do? I think it would be very difficult for the average family to do a full year away without several years of saving and planning. Ali and I had a real benefit, which is that we both had jobs that would allow us to work, you know, on the road, which helped a lot. We were really winging it a lot of the time. And so we would frequently find as we went along that our money had basically run out. And in order for us to get the money we needed to do the next part of the trip, something needed to happen. So like I needed to turn in a third of the book to my publisher in order to get them to cut me a check so that we could buy plane tickets uh, from <laughs> Costa Rica back to America. Like otherwise we'd still be there, I guess. This is the second big rule of having a family adventure. It takes a lot of planning, and you have to save up. But you don't necessarily have to have everything figured out before you leave. There's lots of people who travel with their families for months and sort of make it up as they go along. They find ways to earn money as they're traveling. In other words, a big adventure like this 
it can be terrifying when you're thinking about it from the comfort of your own home. But don't let that scariness stop you. So the first country the Koises went to was New Zealand. I think that those first three months in New Zealand did have a real feeling of an extended vacation for everyone. Even though the kids had to go to school, they weren't their schools and they weren't particularly academically rigorous. They were a little more chill, a little more fun. We were doing all kinds of fun activities. It was like camp. Yeah, it was a little like camp. Yeah, like we, tourists. We were visiting fun places. It was like somehow a better version of home, I feel like, because we had this really nice house. We you had all... lots of friends, right, Harper? Yeah, I got. I made lots of friends. The whole family loved New Zealand. It, neighbors invited them over for dinner. It was a beautiful and exotic place. The kids were popular at school, and they had a really easy time making new friends. But even though New Zealand was such an easy entry, the Koises learned the next lesson pretty quickly. Setting expectations for both kids and for parents is really important. Right, and part of the idea of this trip was to have normal days, right? We It wasn't Disneyland. It wasn't supposed to be Disneyland. It was supposed to be life, but just in different places. So, I mean, in New Zealand, the very first attempt we made at, um, like, trying to experience the great outdoors of New Zealand and become an outdoorsy family the way Kiwis are was a pretty simple day hike. And... Um, I had definitely had these visions of like how appreciative and happy my kids would be at the end of it. And the trip itself was fun. But then when my kids did not at the end of it seem as appreciative or overjoyed about the experience as I sort of hoped or expected they would be, I ended yeah. up getting in a huge fight with Lyra about, you know, some bullshit. And like that was an object lesson for me about the ways that my expectations, not only about how things would go, but how they would respond were like wrecking it for people. Yeah, I mean, I felt that way, especially in the Netherlands, because as an adult, I really wanted to do all the stuff that being in Europe allows you to do, which is, you know, go to historic sites, go to museums, go see a bunch of old stuff, look at art, look at architecture, etc. And the kids were just not at all interested in that. And it was frustrating to me I thought, like, why aren't you having fun? This is an amazing experience. Please, you know, eat it up, soak it up, like it. Um, and that was not useful. I We did really learn on this trip, it is not a winning argument with children to be like, when you're older, you're going to be so grateful <laughs> that you did this. And, and yeah. in fact, they, it makes them really mad. Yeah, no, it does <laughs> the opposite of working. Yeah. And I, and I want to move into the Netherlands to ask you about that. But before I do, let me just ask one other question about New Zealand. Like, how did you guys, you were there for three months. Like, do you like, buy a car or what do you do? <laughs> I mean, my feeling was like, we'll buy a used car on our first day there and then we'll drive it for three months and then we'll sell it to someone for whatever we bought it for because we're not going to put that many kilometers on it. I mean, maybe we would even like sell it for more and like make a bunch so of money. we're so smart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> seems like it, it seemed like a no-fail proposition. So anyways, what happened was I went through this like long and terrible day of trying to buy a used car in a in a one day panic. Crashed one of the used cars I was test driving uh, <laughs> because it was I mean it was my first time ever driving on the left side of the road. Um, bought the second car I test drove solely because I hadn't crashed it. Um, we drove it for three months and then I sold it for like fifty percent of what we bought it for. Yeah, like we <laughs> I lost like three thousand dollars or something. Like that was the first big big red mark on the ledger that did not go the way we thought it would go. Uh, so that was just a terrible error. Yeah, so don't 
do that. The lesson is just rent the car. When we come back, we'll learn how to turn the ups and downs of a big family adventure into something that, if nothing else, gets the kids to stop whining. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on creditworthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com podcast, or find it wherever you listen. So you're in New Zealand. And and it's a great experience. You've been there for three months. And then you go to the Netherlands. And how do things change with your family? Um, I would say, first of all, we really did at that moment f- feel all of us, but particularly the kids sort of hit a wall, uh, like a wall of homesickness and a wall of frustration that this trip was still going on. It wasn't over yet. And a little bit of that wall came from the feeling of repetitiveness that, oh, we just sort of got New Zealand and we made friends and we had a great time, but now we have to start from zero again. Yeah, and this yeah. time we're doing it in a place that doesn't even have any lush foliage to distract us. That's true, and a place where, um, while most people speak English, there were very important places where English wasn't being spoken, for example, in the kids' school. Um, and that was very difficult for them. And so as a family, we found that the experience was that we were sniping at each other a lot. Here's the next rule. If you're on an adventure that's supposed to bring your family closer together, you're going to fight. And sometimes you're not going to be close at all. 
and that's totally okay. Adventures are supposed to take you out of your comfort zone. That's kind of the point. There's the thing that Alia said to me during the trip, which was a lesson that it took me a long time to learn, which is that it's okay if it's bad sometimes. My response to my kids being unhappy or me being unhappy or Alia being unhappy or something going wrong often was uh, frustration that I couldn't instantly make it better. But sometimes we were just going to have a bad day. Sometimes we were just going to have a really hard time fitting in somewhere or making friends. Sometimes we would really struggle with school or with language. And as much as I, you know, sort of talked about wanting this trip to build resilience for my kids, I found it very difficult to respond with equanimity to bad times. I got frantic and desperate to make them better. And the lesson was to like roll with it a little bit more. If your object is to go to a place and experience what life is like there, you can't expect for it to go smoothly all the time or for you to be happy all the time. I mean, no one's life is like that um, wherever you are. And so to try and, you know, accept the bad with the good, I think is, is an important lesson to learn. If you were giving yourself advice before going to the Netherlands, What's the advice that you would have given yourself now? Uh, spend 10 years learning Dutch. <laughs> Be Dutch. But, Be Dutch. <laughs> what about, because I know that you've you've written about that there's this Dutch model of having the whole family make decisions. Did the kids like that? Like, was that something that you guys enjoyed kind of trying to figure out how to do? Lyra, did you like the Polder model? I feel like the Polder model is kind of like communism and that it's good in theory, but maybe not so much in practice. So the idea of the polar model is that in Dutch families, all decisions are made by common agreement, that everyone has to agree on a plan before it will be enacted, as opposed to top-down delivering of orders. Kids are expected not to just like reject a decision or reject a suggestion from a parent, but to argue their point. If you think a kid should go to bed at 9 and a kid thinks they should go to bed at 10, They should make a coherent argument to you. It doesn't get dark until much later than that. It'll be difficult for me to go to sleep. Uh, I would like to propose instead that we settle on 9.30. Because the Kois family wanted to live like locals in the Netherlands, they adopted the Polder model, and and they tried to live by it. But living like a local, it's not something where you can just, like, flip a switch. That, in fact, is why travel is so useful. Because in the process of trying to live like other people, you learn something unexpected about yourself. I just found it immensely frustrating to take what seemed to me to be totally unimportant suggestions or ideas about what we should do during a day or when someone should get off their phone or when it's time to go to bed and open them all up to like parliamentary debate as if we were... Proper democracy. Right. So what do you carry away from that? Like, like what did you learn from that? You know... Lyra, for example, when she gets home from school, really likes to have downtime before she gets started on her homework. Before we went on this trip, I would have been very likely to just be like, no, the rule of the house is that you do your homework and and when you get home, just do your stupid homework. Um, But this has been a matter of Lyra's concerted discussion as to why this is important to her actually moved my opinion on this matter as opposed to just making me angry that she was arguing with me. Which brings us to Costa Rica. What's it like to go from the Netherlands to Costa Rica? Well, um, 
there was the very simple and easy to explain fact that we were going from a medium-sized city, a European city, a very cosmopolitan city, um, to an extremely small town on the west coast of Costa Rica. So it wasn't bustling and busy. It was slow and quiet. It was just too slow. I mean, it was beautiful, and it was a lot of great family bonding time, and it was very pleasant. It was maybe just a little bit too far from our normal. We were trying to escape our normal, but maybe not quite that much. That's interesting. So, so like, what do you take from that? Like, like the fact that it is, it is so different. Because I think most people they think about moving to Costa Rica, and it's like their dream come true, right? You're moving to paradise. Yeah, I mean, that was part of the intent, right? Is to test that out. How would we like it? if we really moved to paradise. And, you know, I think the takeaway in general from this whole trip was you've got to have people. If you're really so remote that pretty much it's just you and your family all the time, it turned out we weren't so great at that. It means that you are always at your best and your worst with those people, and none of you ever has a moment to be anyone else. Harper, what did you think about Costa Rica? I really liked the fact that we were mostly just chilling. We played cards and we had a hammock that we would swing in and the ocean was right in front of our house. Did you not ever get bored? I mean, sometimes I got bored because you guys were working and I had nothing to do because we had terrible internet at that house. (laughs) (laughs) What do you feel like you learned about your family in Costa Rica? Like, what's the lesson you took away about how to be a family from there. We did become, in Costa Rica, a very self-sustaining little four-person unit in a way that often meant we were on each other's nerves, but definitely also always meant, I think, that we all had each other's backs. So here's the lesson from Costa Rica. Let the adventure be an experiment. And sometimes, you know, experiments, they fail. The idea of living in paradise It might be great in theory, but when you finally get there, you learn that what you really want isn't this beautiful deserted beach. It's a crowded city, or or really just any city, as long as they speak English and have reliable internet. So the last stop on this this adventure is in Kansas. Uh, We chose Kansas because it seemed foolhardy to be telling this story about Uh, our American parenting life and all the ways that we were frustrated by it without acknowledging that there were other kinds of American family lives that other people were leading that we might learn something from. Hayes is a pretty small city in western Kansas. It's the biggest city in western Kansas. What's the population of Hayes? I think it's about 20,000. We chose Hayes in particular because we had a friend who had been living there for about 10 years, a friend from college who had moved there from the East Coast who loved it there, who told us over and over again, you know, y'all move to Hayes, she would say, uh, you'll be so bored, but you'll be so happy. And so we decided to call her bluff by moving two blocks away from her. And more than most of the places we visited, I think most of the people we met were very committed to this notion of Hayes as a certain kind of version of small town America, and very determined to present that not just to me, like the writer writing about it, but to our kids and to Alia and to each other. Like Hayes really seems to revel in its small townness, um, and people in Hayes love to talk about uh, what a small town upbringing brings to your kids. I mean, because we don't think about like a family adventure, meaning move to a town in the middle of the Midwest, right? But was it an adventure? Was it was it that different? 
it felt really different to me. Um, yeah. I know for Harper, one thing that she really noticed was how quickly we became known to everyone in town and we sort of just became fixtures in that place. It was weird to just see people like almost every day that I had seen before and that I knew who weren't just strangers to me. They were people in my neighborhood and I'd be like, hi. I mean, one thing, and Dan hinted at this a little bit that I really appreciated about being in Hayes, is that the efforts that were made to enliven the town were just so accessible. So like, for example, there were a couple of people there who were very interested in having a symphony. Now, Hayes is not a town that would normally have a symphony, but a couple of people were interested and they got people from the music department at the local university together and they created this little symphony. And if you were interested, you could participate in it in some way. And the same thing with the children's theater. Whereas, you know, in D.C., there's a bunch of different children's theaters and you have to audition and sometimes you have to know people and often it costs an arm and a leg to participate in these things. And it just feels like too much. Whereas there, you know, people create these things. Everyone's invited and included. It's warm and friendly. You know, at the same time, I could see how if you were growing up in such a place, it might also feel stifling to have everyone know your business all the time. In Arlington, we have friends. We have schools that we go to. We have churches we've attended. Um, but I don't know that we think of ourselves exactly as Arlingtonians in the sense of being part of a large group of people, all of whom are working together to create a place. Um, but it is meaningful to be someplace like Hayes, where all four of us did feel like that. So you guys have been back for a while now. It's It's been, what, a year and a half yeah. since you came back? And I, I know that, like, for my family, one of the big things about having an adventure is that you don't want that adventure just to be the time away, right? It's supposed to to change you and to mark you. You're supposed to learn something from it. Like when when you think about the last year and a half, how are you guys a different family now? I think we're a lot more attentive to each other. I think that we are a lot more likely to want to spend time together. I think the kids are a lot better at embracing experiences while often allowing them to discuss or negotiate with us. But I think they are more likely to believe, oh, this thing that mom and dad want us to do, I don't quite get it, but it might be fun. Or at the very least, it won't be as bad as the 10-mile hike they made us go on in New Zealand. <laughs> you know, we are, I think, better at togetherness than we were before. And I do think we've come to appreciate things about our life in Arlington more. Um, and that was probably something we needed to do, which is to step away from what we had so that we could recognize the good things about it. Harper, when you think back to this year that you had with your, your parents sort of traveling all around and having this adventure, what was the best day that you had? I think for me, one of the most exciting days was in New Zealand. My first day of school there, it was so much different. Um, like we called our teachers by their first names. We get, got to take our shoes off inside. And like here, you have to get like all these things signed, like permission slips. But in New Zealand, there was like zero 
permission slips. <laughs> you just went snorkeling yeah, we in went, the bay. We went snorkeling without ever asking permission. No, we just went without asking permission during was during, during the school, school day. day. Yeah, maybe that's the big lesson: is that we have too many permission slips. That's definitely <laughs> a, uh, definitely <laughs> one lesson our kids learned. Yeah, I might actually pick a a Dutch day, even though that was potentially the most fraught place that we went. Um, but in some ways, because it was so different than our American experience, which is that you get up on the on the day, you serve your kids hagelslag for breakfast, which is this ridiculous um, bread, butter, and sprinkles concoction that all Dutch kids eat for breakfast. So they love that. And then they get on their bikes and they ride away to school. You just wave and they know the three and a half kilometers to get there because they've learned it, because they've had to learn it. And then, you know, maybe you can ride all the way to The Hague if you want to. I mean, one day I went out there and went to a couple museums on my own just because I could. And you take a stroll in the evening, which stays light until 11 p.m. And it's just such a different and and can be magical experience to to have this world that is just so different from your own. And I think that's that's fun for everyone. And maybe this is the biggest lesson of all about going on a family adventure. Your kids, your whole family, everyone starts thinking of themselves as adventurers. It's not a change that hits you over the head while you're traveling, but when you come home, and, and I've seen this with my own kids, your family is ready for anything. Because going on an adventure is kind of like real life intensified. It's great and it's bad and it's surprising and it's boring. But by the time you come back, you're a different family and your kids are ready for the next adventure, which is the rest of their lives. My thanks to the Kois family for sharing their adventure with us. There's a lot more to learn about families and what we can learn from other cultures in Dan's new book, How to Be a Family, The Year I Dragged My Kids Around the World. Are you embarking on some kind of scary new thing or, or have some problem that needs solving? If so, send us a note at howtoatslate.com and we might be able to help. That's slate.com. Also, if you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. That helps people find the show and helps us help them. Thanks. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Merritt Jacob is our engineer. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown. June Thomas is the senior managing producer of Slate Podcasts, and Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director for audio. Special thanks to Rosemary Belson and Asha Saluja. I'm Charles Duhigg. Thanks for listening.